Dear listener, thank you for tuning into our podcast, Inside Impact Investing. In four episodes, we're discussing the need and pathways for radical economic change. The COVID-19 crisis revealed once more the severe shortcomings of our current economic system. In the wake of the pandemic, we have a great opportunity to build an economy that is fit for the future, one that is more resilient, more sustainable, and more inclusive. Investors play a crucial role in the transition to this new economy, providing the capital needed to realize real and profound change. The investment choices they make can have a positive impact on our planet and society, while at the same time delivering solid, long-term investment returns. In this second episode, we talk about radical change from a financial markets perspective. William Burkhart, president and COO of the Investment Integration Project and co-author of the book 21st Century Investing, and Hans Stechmann, chief investment strategist, Triodos Investment Management, discuss a new approach to investing in order to drive systemic change. So welcome, Bill, and thank you for joining us to discuss this important topic of Reset the Economy, Impact Investing. Um, In our previous podcast, we discussed with ecological economist Tim Jackson about post-growth, a radical vision on a post-corona world. And we ended with more or less the topic now, what's the role of the financial industry, uh, what's the role of investing in, in getting a more sustainable economy? Um, of course, you, you have written your, your new book together uh, with your uh, colleague, Stephen Leidenberg, on the 21st century investing. Um, and we at Triodos have published also last year a paper in which we also called for a reset the economy, which is more or less in line with what you're talking about, about impact investing and how you call it system level investing. And maybe that's the way to start also here. Um, can you tell what it means for you, that, that idea of system-level investing. Yeah, yeah. And thanks for having me here. This is, uh, this is great. Yeah, so when we talk about system-level investing, um, it's essentially investing in a way that supports and enhances the health and stability of these kind of big, overarching societal, financial, and environmental systems. These systems are really important because they are essentially what investors depend on for stable, long-term performance. Um, And so these investors are essentially looking to preserve and strengthen these systems um, while generating competitive returns or otherwise acceptable performance. So that's what a system level investor, we contrast that with a conventional investor that basically doesn't uh, intentionally integrate any environmental, social governance factors um, and sustainable investors that do. Um, but that don't necessarily seek to change the di- underlying dynamics of these systems. Um, and so that's really the spectrum that we place system level investing on. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's helpful. Yes. Yeah, so, so what you essentially do, you have conventional investing, which do not take any concerns about environmental uh, or social impacts. Um, and, and then you put in, in every chapter sustainable investing, which is, well, maybe in the middle of, of everything and then system level investing. Um, and I was, I was wondering, um, what you describe is a lot that systems, uh, systems challenges um, are risks for uh, investors. And you describe it a, a lot in terms of risks. And is it also the case in your perspective that this is about 
positive impact or is it only mitigating risk? No, so we we actually, it's that's a great dimension to highlight. So Steve and I, since day one of TIP, right? So we established it probably in 2015. And one of the things that we were really focused on capturing is this idea that yes, handling or addressing big systemic issues is as much about managing downside risk long-term as it is about investing in solutions and opportunities for a kind of more resilient, regenerative economy. Um, and so if you take something like circular economy opportunities, that's an opportunity. That's not just about downside risk management. It's about how do we adapt for the kind of dynamics that we, we see, whether it's resource limitations, uh, population migration, all sorts of other issues that fundamentally will impact uh, industries writ large. Um, how do we start to make sure that we are identifying as much about the reward aspect as we are about the risk aspect? Um, and so that's really from a systems lens, it can't just be about downside risk. That's not what's going to overall sh- reshape the financial system. Yeah, and 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 of course, and also you touch upon it in in, in the book. Uh, but what normal or what a lot of people would say, yeah, but but system uh, challenges are uh, for policymakers. And why should investors step in? Their role is to allocate uh, capital in the most efficient way, and uh, system challenges are for policymakers. Yeah, so it's a it's a huge dimension. Actually, one of the uh, system level investment strategies that we highlight is what we call this idea of polity that investors need to get political, um, and and that is super important because the role of government and policy in all of this is important as much uh, as important as the role of investors, particularly as government's traditional role of providing social safety nets and kind of the stabilizing environment for business and investment. That role has been shrunken a bit over the decades, simply because of resource constraints and all sorts of changes. Um, And because of that role is not fulfilling its traditional purpose somebody has to step in. And that's where we see a lot. It's like with the SDGs and things like that, where saying we're not going to get there with public sector alone. Investors have to also be part of this equation. Um, And so that's where it's super important that there's a, there's an interplay between the two. Um, And and it it goes back to uh, when you think about the, in isolation, these investments that you could have a greener portfolio, you could have a more socially responsible portfolio, but are you ultimately affecting the fundamental dynamics? And the only way that you're going to get to that writ large is if you also have the role of policy in there too. Yeah, and if, if we take this this one step deeper, um, this is also about, I think, about morality of the investors in the end. So what... So if, if, if I take the, the, the vision you took in your book, so you have the, the conventional, the sustainable, and the system-level investors. So And... and if I see that the sustainable investors will create a little bit more sustainable portfolio, looking at the benchmark, having a lower carbon footprint than the benchmark, and say this is this is sustainable, say this is this is okay according to the market. If you take it to the system level, level, <laughs> in 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 a sense, or or or, or more on the impact, it, this is also about morality, right? So, what role will you take? How do you see the future? What's the vision of the future? So it becomes closer to to politics, or is that the wrong approach? How do you see that? So so the motivation of the investor, it could be from a values, moral perspective, I just want to see a better world, or it could from the performance perspective, that these issues 
in their increasing intensity and their increasing interconnection are more material to our long-term performance. Both schools of thought are readily evident across investor motivations for doing this kind of work. So I think that it's, um, it, it for sure there, there is a moral, but put, you can't divorce it from the fact that this really is about a driver of performance. Yeah. Yeah, at, at, at Triodos, as, as a values-based bank, as we call it, um, we, we really um, underline also the, the moral perspective, not to sit on the, on, on the chair of policymakers, but to be aware that your role is always bigger than only allocating money for, for return. For us, it's also about uh, the impact. And I think and, uh, that was kind of hard for me to understand in your book what the difference is from those two perspectives, because I, I, I see those two perspectives that you just described, so the long-term uh, return perspective, the risk perspective, um, uh, and the, the, the real values-based perspective. And maybe that's also because I work at Triodos that I, for me it's sometimes hard to, to separate them. Um, is that but even, just, but, if, but is that that even important, I would say, to separate it? Maybe it's not important in your opinion. It's because what our book really focuses on is, well, how do you do it? Regardless of your starting point is values motivation or it is performance minded. At the end of the day, you still have an investment process. You go through key steps, whether you're conventional, sustainable system level. And what our book really tried to do is to say your starting point might vary. Um, but at the end of the day, how you mobilize, how you implement is going to be consistent. And so that was where, you know, it, it's the same thing of um, when you think uh, even measurement frameworks and stuff like that, where it, do, do investors want qualitative data? Do they want quantitative data? Um, and, you know, one of the things, one of the steps we talk about is evaluation. We were really intentional about saying evaluation is, as opposed to measurement, because we were trying to capture this quality of saying, look, if you're just slapping metrics, there's a real risk to that. You're losing the context of those metrics. You're, you, have, you raise the risk of impact washing, greenwashing, all of that. But one of the things that we really are very particular about is to say, you can't divorce judgment from this. And you can have all the quantitative data you need, but a good investor injects their own judgment into it. That judgment could be motivated by values. That judgment could be motivated by other things. But that judgment aspect, why you get into it and then how you approach it, is so critical to making sure that this doesn't become a check the box exercise. Yeah, yeah, completely agree on that. So maybe on a point, what you touch is currently in in the industry, especially in 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 Europe, it's all about climate. It's all about net zero, trying to get there, science based targets, whatever. Um, and that concerns me sometimes because it's it's really a one-dimensional approach, uh, looking only at one metric, so really reductionist. Um, while on the other hand, it's a systemic problem which we try to address. Um, so I'm struggling, and maybe also in the background of being a kind of holistic investor, try to address a lot of things. Um, what what would your solution be? And that's maybe also so also in your book. You can address different topics, but they're all interrelated. All interrelated. There's a reason why graphically we use gears, you know, and they're big gears, little gears, and they're kind of shifting each other no matter what choice you make. And I think a lot, you know, somebody that's been kind of informing our work since day one is a guy named David Wood at Initiative for Responsible Investment at Harvard. He has been with a number of other 
folks like Vanna Brunstein and a few others driving that whole just transition work. And so it's to say, yes, we can transition to a more resilient climate economy, but there's going to be trade-offs when it comes to labor and workers' rights. Um, there's going to be other sorts of trade-offs. And even like, look at the Bitcoin. I mean, the just even mining Bitcoin, the amount of energy that goes into that and the, the real trade-offs. It's just to say, and this is what we get to in the book, is to say there are these really big, complex systemic issues. Those systemic issues are made up of smaller subsystems, and all of these things are interconnected, and the complexity of kind of navigating this is really tough. So you can't just think, well, I have this green portfolio, I have this imperfect portfolio, that I'm doing something good. It's like, right, but are you looking at the unintended consequences? Are you looking at the larger shifts that are happening? So you've increased minimum wage at that one company. Have you increased, helped to increase minimum wage across an entire city, state, country, right? Like these are those things that um, more and more, I think people are starting to understand, like we can't just do drops in the ocean anymore. Like we've got to do how do we actually solve the problem of the ocean, right? Yeah, yeah, and maybe that's a good way to also go to the. So in the book, you have four criteria you use to to choose the the system level issue, and that that, that might also address the, the topic we just um, discussed. Um, because I think that's important. Also, what what you do there is try to say, well, yeah, you, you have criteria to choose the right topic you you can address. Can can you maybe explain what you? How you do that? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we were cognizant of when Steve and I were first starting to conceptualize system level investing and the basic contours of it, one of the worries we had was the kind of starting point to say, you know, if everybody could just say something's a system level issue, are you necessarily prioritizing the right things, the right levels of abstraction for investors to be engaging on? Um, and so what we did was to say, okay, not every issue rises to that level. And so how are we going to actually help demonstrate what investors should be focusing on? What can they use? And so we came up with this criteria. The criteria is uh, pretty, uh, you know, it's, there's four parts to it. So, so your first one is consensus. And so the idea with consensus is you want to make sure that these are issues that have been debated globally, that there is some essentially global agreement that this is a systemic issue. So If it's something like climate change, we can point to a vast body of science. We can point to government oversight that suggests, yes, this is a big issue. Um, global bodies like the UN, things like that. Is it relevant in sense of, is it relevant for investors to consider? Um, like, will it actually have an impact on their performance long term? And so you can look to thing, or things around income inequality, like social unrest. You can look at stuff around climate change. There's actual models now that show, you know, if left unchecked, this is going to have this kind of um, drag on performance long term, or it's going to create an untenable operating environment for investors as these things intensify. The third criteria is around effectiveness. So can investors actually do something? To your point, there are some issues and there are some things that just the role of the investor um, is just less relevant. We're doing a lot of stuff around income inequality right now. And if you're tackling something like executive compensation, you know, private equity or fixed income, maybe aren't your best spots, but man, in public equities, you can do a lot around that. Right. And so it's just trying to understand, you know, can investors actually really do something meaningful around the issue? And then there's just the uncertainty criteria that positive or negative, if left unchecked, are the outcomes really uncertain do and 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 in that uncertainty it raises the prospect of you know uh, a less stable operating environment for investors long term that 
these black swan events could occur that were just really a, a pandemic happens, you know, one day it wasn't, and then one day it was. Um, and it's not always like that. It can be more like, we just don't know with climate change. We have a lot of sense of where it's going to head. And if we, these different scenarios, we just don't know, well, in 10 years, what scenario will we be at? We just don't know. And that will have massive implications for the insurance companies and, and so on and so forth. So that's, that criteria was always our way of saying only so many issues should get to this level because the the complexity that is required to address these big complex issues is really high. And so if investors are not only going to mobilize themselves individually, but also try to influence the behavior of other investors to drive big change within the financial system, there's only a few things that really get to that level that justify it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking when, when, when reading about the criteria and, and you give, uh, you elaborate on some examples like inequality, like 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 uh, water, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would take the sustainable development goals, which, which is all at the moment uh, also a kind of language we use in, in in the impact investing industry, would all sustainable development goals qualify for system level investing? No, and I mean it's not just us saying that, right? I mean there are um, like the Cambridge. Uh, risk studies group um, and a few others have kind of pointed to like thematically, there's only some of those SDGs that are truly investment ready. Um, And so not all of those uh, would reach the level that we would consider uh, a system level issue at. Beyond that, the other reason why they probably, uh, many of them wouldn't. So generally speaking, like addressing climate change or addressing wealth inequality, things like that. These are obviously big issues that we would agree with that are rise to the systemic level. One of the dilemmas, I guess, of how the SDGs are framed, though, is that they don't necessarily control for the interconnection between the issues. So it's not just to say, well, if we just put a bunch of investment dollars toward, it's, it's a classic philanthropic mind, right? We just put a bunch of dollars towards addressing climate change. That's great. Well, Right. But all these other issues are still continuing to evolve, too. And if we're not addressing those at the same time or the interplay, they're just going to cause the problems all over again. So you're not actually you're, you're putting band-aids. You're not actually healing. Right. Um, and so that's we would say that some of them do, but not all of them do. And even the ones that do, as currently framed, kind of don't capture necessarily all of the complexity that needs to be captured. At that level, yeah, and and maybe the other the other way around is what you see in the industry. So I completely understand your point that you say not all will qualify uh, because it. And I completely agree; it's not an investment agenda. But then the other way around, what you see in the industry is that a lot of I think sustainable investors um, report on their contribution to all the SDGs, uh, <laughs> and and probably don't don't. Uh, address the system level problems which are behind it, but but just use this as a reporting tool to say we're sustainable. Um, right. Yeah, is that not at the moment one of the biggest threats to to the investment industry that it's very unclear what's the difference between conventional investors, sustainable investing, and 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 impact investor or system level investing because it's for clients very. Well, it's it's almost impossible to see sometimes what the differences are in what you achieve with where your money goes. Yeah. So I think it's so that if you had asked me that question five years ago, I think my response would be a little bit more cynical. I think a lot of what's happened, even in the relatively recent past, is giving me a little bit more hope that the kind of 
scaffolding that needs to be created for this to really be an industry. I think it's starting to, you know, you, you think about like the SASB merger. Um, you think about what's happening with the EU. Uh, there is the UK stewardship codes that are coming into effect around consideration of systemic risk. Um, CFA Institute is, you know, saying the future of sustainable investing is system level thinking. I think that the needle is moving really quickly in a way that it hasn't before. My co-founder, Steve Leidenberg, talks about how when he got started in this industry, that they were, you know, KLD, they were one of the first companies that was collecting corporate level data, right, on companies. You know, they got, you know, today we can just hop on Bloomberg Terminal and we can get all the features we want. Back then, finding out about the ESG information about a company was like looking at a newspaper and cutting out clippings and like sending postcards to request annual reports, right? So to think about how fast it's happened and how much it's changed, um, I think is really promising. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, are we capturing, are we getting all the way there? No, but I think the gap between where we were and where we need to get to has dramatically changed. Um, and it's, it's shrunken. Um, we're not there yet, but I think we're getting closer and people are starting to understand there's a difference between measuring the impact of your portfolio, aligning with global standards or global goals, and then understanding what we would inject into that on the other end of the spectrum is influence. How is your investment dollars or all the various windows that you as an investor operate through? And Triodos is a really good example of this. It's not just about how you guys allocate assets. You're using your bully pulpit. You're using your voice. You're helping to inform policies that are being created, helping to build out the data infrastructure. All of these things are really important. And that's where you get into actually influencing other investors and really the overall industry. So when you start to understand that that continuum, we've solved, I think, in many ways. We've got much more clarity and we're getting much more standard, standardization around the measurement part. We're getting better about, okay, but we all acknowledge that we have to align with broader global objectives, but the additional layer being now we've got to bring an in influence. And I think all of those are in different stages of kind of maturity. Um, but the fact that they are in different stages of maturity, that they even exist, I think is really important. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, what what you address now is also what what you call in the book, I think, system level uh, investing techniques. So so how mm -hmm. can you, as an investor, not only directly with your capital but also with the rest, influence um, the, the the system level problem you you address? And I was thinking, especially now, um, the world a little bit opening up against uh, after the the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, would it not be the time to use on a larger scale um, system level investing to prevent this to happen again? Um, yeah. And how, and there comes the question, how should we do that? <laughs> yeah. So um, I would say we're never going to be able to prevent these things. We can better manage them. Right. And I think that's what we want to try to get to. I mean, the problem with the COVID-19 pandemic, it the, there was a virtue to it in the sense that it, for the first time, I think, in a really long time, you know, everybody for years, I mean, back in 2018, we did a big report with PRI focused on how do institutional investors, how can they and why should they address an issue like income inequality? The, and that was that really came about because everybody was like kind of grappling with the S of ESG. What do you do as a big institutional investor primarily operating through public markets? Um, and it was just that acknowledgement. I mean, even that paper, the back in 2018, we all these things said, if we don't get our act together, 
the real economy is actually going to start to suffer. And then the pandemic happened and all those things we said are like 10 to 20 years away happened overnight. And I think the, the thing that we've got to get to is the idea that that interconnection of multiple different stakeholders working in unison towards these common, bigger, fundamental objectives is ultimately like where we need to get to. And I think if we could do that, if, if policymakers like with the stewardship codes, really specifically calling out systemic risk is now something that has to be um, thought about. If we can start as much getting voluntary standards in place like TC, TCFD, but also making mandatory standards that are a little bit, that have a little more teeth to them. Um, well, at the same time that more and more investors start to go from why I should do this and what are we talking about to really, how do I do it? I think that if you had a more critical mass of investors thinking that way and not seeing government as a threat, but really as a potential partner, not seeing nonprofits and advocacy organizations as threats, but really as partners to help inform investment decisions, like all of that. I mean, it, it, if, if we could do that, I think we would ultimately have a much more resilient, regenerative, you know, all of those things that we talk about in the book, um, ultimately uh, set of systems um, that we could, you know, when these big uncertain events happen, we're actually ready, prepared for them. Is, is that also about resilience then? Do, do you think if you would really have more system level investors that you would also have a more resilient financial industry and hence also a more resilient economy in the end? I think the two the two words that I often will use, we had did this exercise a while back around how do you begin to really measure effectiveness of these kinds of things. And we were trying to, and ultimately, I don't know that it's, it's such a historical part of our thing. That I don't know that we would necessarily support a lot of the conclusions we made in it now. But the metrics we came up with, we were struggling with how do you get to that inherent complexity and kind of inherent changing aspect of these systems. And so what we ultimately got to, I was like, we got to figure out a way to measure durability. We want to know durability because that's ultimately it's to say, can these systems spring back? And if they spring back, could they even spring back stronger? That's where you get to resiliency. But durability and resiliency are the two things that I think we ultimately need to get to. Um, and you see all these efforts right now around reimagining capitalism and all these other things. They're ultimately, there's shades of gray talking about the same thing, right? Like they're all trying to get to, how do you start to capture that quality? And it changes. So when we came up with some of these things, we talked about this idea of, could you measure adaptability? Could you measure connectivity, um, directionality, clarity of these systems? And they, it's to say, for certain systems, these things are going to be more emphasized. So the actual issue, underlying issues of these systems, the disconnects, the problems are going to be different. And those strategies that have to be deployed will also have to be different. So you've got this spectrum of opportunities, spectrum of techniques, but how you emphasize them will be different for the various dynamics of the system you're trying to address. So it's all a long way of saying, yes, ultimately, if we, if investors started to operate with this mentality, policymakers did, um, and you really had the full system working in unison towards like that idea of durability, that idea of resiliency, I think we would get to a something that is ultimately more uh, regenerative by design, essentially. Yeah. Um, maybe a question about one of the, the biggest challenges, I think, 
we, we will have in the coming years. So we talk about a lot about net zero and, and we try to mitigate the carbon emissions of portfolios. But on the other hand, we probably need a, a lot of regenerative activities, nature-based nature solutions to really have that economy on, on a better track. And what we often enco- encounter that, well, it's it's hard to make the business case. So th- this also relates to the asset class uh, section, I think, in the book. Um, and I talked about the previous podcast with, with uh, Tim Jackson about the post-growth economy. And we talked about, well, what does it mean if the economy does not grow? What does it mean for returns? And so you, you can have a case that you have a system-level problem, but you don't have a, or it's hard to find an investment solution. And, and what's then the role of the financial industry if you have such a big problem but hey, how are we going to solve it with investments or, or with what asset class and with what instruments? Yeah, so I would, I would tackle that in a couple of ways. So one of the, the bodies of work that we point to in the book is um, work that's coming out of John Lacomic and Jim Hawley. Um, so they just did a new book on moving beyond portfolio theory. Um, and one of the things that they point to is just this idea that the variation of return that investors ultimately face for like over 90% of investors is based on the health of the economy. It's the beta, right? That's ultimately responsible for the variation. Alpha is great. It is only achieved at any given time by such a small subset. So if you're, the bulk of your variation of returns really is tied to the overarching health of the economy, um, Yes, a lot of that is going to come down to how you allocate assets. But it's one of the points that we make in the book. It's not just about allocating assets. It it goes back to it's like, why does Triodos do all of the the diversity of approaches you guys do? It's not just about you've got, you know, you have these really smart investments. You're doing a lot of other things at the same time. And I think a lot of that comes back to, well, we see ourselves as long term in focus we see ourselves as essentially trying to create as much stability in the environment as possible. Stability generally, right? Um, because that's going to be the context that ultimately drives our performance. And so when you connect, when you make that connection with this is about building beta, it's about long term, and it's about ultimately driving towards resiliency, I think it, it, then you can start to say it's not just about the allocation of assets. And oh, by the way, when I do allocate assets, though, I want to think about things like it's not just saying, oh, we're going to create more jobs. It's like, are you addressing the additionality aspect? Are you saying people that previously maybe couldn't get jobs are now getting jobs because of Simba? Are you addressing the access question, right? Um, on the environmental side, are you addressing that resiliency side where it's just to say, are we creating products now that we can tear them apart and bring them back together and they're actually going to be even stronger and better because of it? Like, it's things like that where um, it, the asset allocation question is just one point. And I think when you think about driving change at beta level, it just, it, it requires a whole other set of tools. So it's, it is about performance, but it is about also kind of what you're doing beyond just the allocation of yeah. assets. Yeah, I, I agree on that one. And a related topic, of course, is, um, and that's one of our struggles, I think, that's, that's how you measure your, your impact in the end. So uh, in the industry, and I think that, that that's your class of sustainable investing, it's, it's all relative, mostly. So uh, our carbon footprint is better than the, than the benchmark. Um, and on impact, uh, we try to, well, we, we claim we have a vision of where we want to end, what a sustainable world is. We, we don't have it always, but 
And, and we claim that we invest in transitions that bring that endpoint closer. So our way of saying we have impact is saying, yes, we moving in the direction of a more sustainable economy or a carbon-free economy or whatever. Um, but I think it's still very underdeveloped in the industry how we, how we evaluate that kind of impact. I think that's also in, in your book. Um, um, and if you had would have the possibility to 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 change something in the industry or to to make something mandatory for everyone what would you do then on in in terms of evaluating impact or yeah so we we have a we have this chapter on evaluating results and we were very clear about using the language of evaluation as opposed to measurement and it goes back to that spectrum of measurement alignment Influence, And we think you can get to an understanding of influence if you pr provide more of an evaluative lens. One of the things that we, so we think a lot of the progress that's been made, particularly around standards, indicators, things of that nature is super important. It has created this kind of step change from where we were to now that is just really, it's incredible in such a short period of time. It's actually really incredible. Having said that, The metrics alone, standards alone, don't tell you the whole context, right? And, and that's what we try to get to with how we talk about evaluation, that there has to be consistency. So it's not just about telling the impact story of a particular fund. It's, okay, but are you consistent across all of your products, all of your policies, all of your programs? How fundamental? Triotis, Triotis is, a, is a thoroughbred. It's a, it's a stallion. Like you guys were, it's, it's fundamental. You can't unmake soup. It's in your guys' soup, right? Um, But there's also just this thing of, you know, you can take this data points, but in isolation, it, it removes any opportunity for judgment. So great. So you're, you have a greener portfolio here. You're also displacing jobs over here, right? And so it's, it's those kinds of qualities. So we, we highlight a number of those different kind of evaluative dimensions. And that for us, it's really a due diligence challenge as opposed to a measurement challenge, because that's ultimately like as an asset owner, so much of our work is really geared towards asset owners and okay, how do you put these things into practice? And so that's where we get to, it's like, well, you've got to be asking questions and the variation of responses you'll get to those questions will tell you about the quality of where you're potentially putting your money. Um, but it's that idea. It's, it's less about prescribing, like, here's where you guys rank on this and that sort of thing, as it is about tell, I need to understand the whole qualitative, quantitative context of what you're doing. Yeah, 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 I, I, I agree on that. Uh, so, so maybe ask um, a last, um, well, not a challenging, but maybe a dangerous question from my perspective. Um, I know yeah, you said already, you, you know what we do at Triodos. And if you would compare it to that system level uh, investor, that ideal type system level investor you have in mind, How much points do we score on that? <laughs> so you just literally asked me to do the thing that we won't do. Um, so, so what I would say is a hallmark of good system level investing is that you are, we, we lay out in the book, we say there's these advanced techniques and that as a system level investor, you're going through your steps, you're setting goals, you're allocating assets, all of that. The advanced techniques is where it's, it's the, that's the, the main thing, right? And We say there's 10. Now, these 10 strategies, depending on the issue, depending on the investor type, you're not going to use all of them. We, we can't actually point to any investor that is doing all of them because this is, it's a heavy lift, right? But the fact that 
if an investor is looking at an issue and understanding, okay, I know we need to deal with uh, building up more organizational capacity to share best practices and co-invest. Or I'm looking at the issue and I know that if we're going to make progress, we got to be making different kinds of investments that are actually seeking solutions to some of these different dimensions or so on and so forth. Anytime we see someone that has um, essentially what we call a diversity of approaches, that they are not just mobilizing conventional investment tools, but also considering some of these other more advanced techniques, we consider that a very good indication of system level investing in practice. And so we would point, we actually did a profile on Triodos many years ago um, where it reflected that. And it reflected just this idea that there were a diversity of ways in the same way that you would say Dominie Impact Investments has been doing this for a while. They operate through a diversity of ways. Um, Calsters, the Cows, the Nicers, the, you know, you go down the list, they're operating through multiple windows. Some relate to the holdings and the actual allocation of investments, some going well beyond that. So we would point to Triodos as an example of really powerful system level investing because you guys really are seeking to operate through multiple windows, not just the allocation of assets. And so you can't, you have to have all of it. And I think wherever we see that, that's a good sign for us. Okay, that that's good to hear. I think that's that that's a nice end to to this pod, podcast. Thanks for for having you, Bill. But I would I would tell. But see, this is, I think you could do a whole other podcast though about. So I mean, I don't know. You don't. I'm looking at you visually right now, and you have no gray hair. But I have to imagine that if you know, it's one of those like this kind of work is not easy. It's going to nope. give you gray hair. It's going to be yeah. you know. But it's smart investing, particularly when everything's changing. Yeah, and particularly when, when you think that's the only way you can do when you're in the investment industry. And luckily, our clients think the same. So that's why we, we get right. their money. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the best part. Okay, thanks for having you here. Thanks for the insights. And, uh, and we can, of course, do another podcast sometime. Yeah, definitely. Pleasure to be here. Thanks Thank again. Thank you. Bye. This brings us to the end of the second episode of our podcast, Inside Impact Investing, and our series, Reset the Economy. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to tune in for episode three, The Moving Target of Impact Investing, in which we will discuss a new approach to investing based on impact, risk, and return. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or via your favorite podcast app. Until next time.